because this is the definitive Harry Potter podcast. This is MuggleCast episode 224 for November 13th, 2011. This week's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash MuggleCast. Welcome to MuggleCast episode 242. It's a big episode because the Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows part two DVD is now available. And we're here to talk about it, plus a lot of other very interesting news, actually, um, to talk about. Big news about the theme park, big Ew. news about the future, you know, all that. And more yeah. Pottermore. And more Pottermore. More Pottermore. <laughs> all right, I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Eric Skull. And I'm Micah Tannenbaum. Micah, what is in the news this week? Well, surprisingly, Pottermore is in the news. A uh, little bit of an update. Their insider blog, which has been pretty busy lately, uh, has uh, talked a little bit about... They had some downtime last week, and uh, they say now, though, that things are flowing a lot more smoothly. Uh, they had a server upgrade, and now that things are doing a lot better, they're going to turn their attention over to some other improvements, I guess some enhancements uh, that they've been meaning to make probably for the last couple of months. But the big problem was traffic, and they seem to have rectified that problem somewhat. Well, that's good. So hopefully no more, um, this site is, or what, what was that, the purple screen of death? Please come back later. Pottermore is temporarily, temporarily unavailable, something like that. A new server. I yeah, I would have thought they would have added like ten new servers. <laughs> they probably did, and you know that's fine. I'm I'm glad it's running better now. But you know, there's only six hundred thousand people in it, and probably a fraction of them are actually going into it. So, what's going to happen when it opens to the public? We'll be ready then. Ooh, that's and that's question. another question: is when is it going to open to the public? Because we're already into November now, and it seems like beta testing is is going to remain open probably through the end of this year. Yeah. I think that's safe to say. I think that's safe to say. Uh so I don't they need I don't know what they need. They're they they need to add new features. That's what they need. And what about for people who were waiting until October to get in? <laughs> and now they they're they don't know when they're going to get in. Yeah. So basically they extended the beta period for an unknown amount of time and who knows what's going to happen when it opens up. It's going to be pretty frustrating, though. Yeah. If you're a fan, and, and for whatever reason, let's say you didn't make it in the first million. First 600,000. Well, I, th <laughs> I think for me, yeah. I think for me, too, though, like the promise of quality over, you know, supersedes anything else. Like, Yeah, I agree. If it's going to finally work when I get in, if, if I hadn't been in the beta. Did you guys take the beta survey, though? Yes. Um, recently closed. How was that? I, I hadn't really taking a look it's pretty interesting let's take it let's take, let's take it. it right now <laughs> it, takes like, it takes like a half hour it's so it's closed long. it's closed well actually i'm looking at the news post that you made on hypable but you you kind of paraphrase some of the questions yeah. but i wanted to to put those questions to you guys i'll answer as well and just maybe take a few of them here keep in mind these see... were actually in the survey right 
see what you guys uh, think about them. Okay. Um, has Pottermore encouraged you to read or reread the Harry Potter books? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. How are you enjoying going through the moments and collecting items? And I think that survey, that part of the survey was like very satisfied, not satisfied, you know, very dissatisfied. And I think I, I think I scored that low because it was, you know, you were just clicking on items and nothing really happened. It said, Oh, you collected it. It's in your bag now. You're like, okay, cool. Now what? Next chapter, same thing. Repeat. Yeah. And and I think really where it falls short, too, is that there's no retention value. There's nothing that's bringing you back to the site, at least right now. And that's something that I think they're falling short with. And as far as collecting items, what's their purpose? I, th- that's the other thing. Well, that's is- like, yeah, I think it's conflicting because the fact that you can collect items suggests some sort of either repeat value or that you'd be able to use them later. Um you know, I mean, not all, just because some sites have, you know, a, a repeat uh, visit value doesn't mean all sites need it. I'm convinced, like, I feel like if Pottermore well, this had site this. site needs it. Well, does it, though? Because, honestly, they have seven books to get through. You know, they're three months apart. What's wrong with them just releasing each book, having everybody flock to the site, complete everything, learn everything? Because it's a learning experience. It's like, it's like it echoes us reading the books, you know, for the first time. And then, you know, have these months of down period where there's not a whole lot to do. What's, what, if they could perfect it, what would be wrong with that? Well, I, because I think one of the things that they're trying to do here is create a community. And you can't create a community if people are only coming back six more times after Philosopher's Stone. And people can't really talk yeah. to each other. I mean, you can leave a comment, but that's it. And you don't mm-hmm. know who these people are. So. Well, I think they have to somehow extend the in-book experience so that there is that community. But, I still would be all right if if there were periods of downtime. Um, so just because I mean, what we're what are we talking about on Pottermore is the new content, right? So it 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 all kind of gets dictated by how much there is to to learn. Um, so some other questions that they asked: if if you're returning to the site following the completion of Sorcerer's Philosopher's Stone, which I said no, I'm not coming back. Um, I'm sure you guys said that too, right? Well, I didn't take the survey, oh. but uh, <laughs> I, would. I would have said no. We would have, yeah. Um, do you care about house points again? I said no. <laughs> house points. But see, this is this is the the community aspect that I was talking about before. If there was a more of a way to interact with the other members of Pottermore, I think that people would care about house points. It just seems like it's lacking that interaction value. Hmm. It's kind of like me anyway. What like sitting in the great hall and looking to the table next to you, and it's the other house. Ooh, it's the other house. Your rivals, right? But now when we're on Pottermore, we can't do that. We look off into the distance. We're just staring at our screen. We can't see everybody else who we're competing against. Makes it less uh, interactive. But also the the dueling function doesn't work. Yeah, and that would be something I think would make people interested in house points. Potions very difficult. But if you do brew them, you get house points. And uh, I, I would think that they maybe want to start to incorporate things like classes, getting questions right, whether they're trivia-based. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. They, they need more. They're, and I know it's beta, but the, but you know if they're looking to really launch this thing sometime in 2012, they, 
they need a little bit more. They actually asked about the potions. Is it, do you have an easy time brewing potions? My favorite question was, what impression do you get about Sony after partnering with Pottermore? <laughs> and some of the options were bold, original, creative. <laughs> and I put no to all of those. <laughs> and that was, that was truthful. Like, why would I get an impression that Sony is bold, creative, or original? By you having their logo said, on Pottermore's website. That's just stupid. Where are the ebooks? That should have been your, <laughs> yeah. your response to that. Yeah, it should have been unreliable. That's that's the image I where, got about Sony after. Well, it's Pottermore. funny because that question and the one before it, have you seen the Sony logo on the site, are probably the, the two answers that they actually care the most about. Sony certainly does, yeah. I mean, they've probably put a lot of money into this. So They just need to know... That what they're doing is paying off, but we kind of need to know what they're doing. So there is that. Yeah. So I, I'm glad they did this survey because I think they can really learn a lot from it and they'll finally have statistical evidence showing exactly what needs to be done. It basically, the survey basically addressed every, I think, every single thing that I've had a concern with. And that's good. Um, I think there was a suggestions area, and I'm pretty sure I did put in the thing that I talked about on a previous MuggleCast about the pets, taking care of pets. Uh, I know some people would find that stupid, but I myself would probably fall for it. I'd be back daily. So Yeah, I think people are looking for that complete user experience, that complete Hogwarts experience, and, and it's very limited right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you can't promise people, oh, you'll escape back to Hogwarts, you know, once again, and then not give, like, them a complete escape. You need to have something in there for everybody. What else is going on in the news? Well, turning our attention a little bit towards Deathly Hallows Part 2, it seems like WB is making a pretty big Oscar push right now for the final Potter film. Uh, you posted on Hypable a picture of a billboard that you came across when you were eating at your favorite local restaurant. Yeah, that's Chick-fil-A, and- by the way. Chick Fil A. Just wanted to let everybody know. Are they are they sponsoring the show? No, but me and Eric <laughs> they both might, like they it. Might they be should, the yeah. <laughs> they really should. Andrew, we should get on that. Okay, I'll look into uh, it. But but you're actually seeing a lot of WB based promotion. I know they uh, put a video together. They sent out a booklet, and it looks like they're going to pull out all the stops as far as pushing Deathly Hallows Part Two for numerous uh, Oscar nominations. Yeah, and a reminder, they said they were... Well, not they, but Variety wrote an article a couple weeks ago saying that this would happen. Um, Or a couple months ago, saying that Warner Brothers had every intention of making a quote-unquote big push for it to be nominated in all the categories that they're pushing. I know, at least on the promotional material, they're particularly highlighting Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Adapted Screenplay. Um and on the booklet that they're handing out to to potential Oscar voters, um, on the back of it, you know, they ha- they list everything that it's nominated for: best supporting actor, best actor, best actress, supporting actress, sound editing, sound mixing, and a bunch of others. So, you know, I'm glad they're doing this, but does it work? Do do, do you know if I'm an Oscar voter and I'm driving through Hollywood and I see this billboard, am I encouraged to vote? For Harry yeah, Potter? I mean, I, I feel like in the same way that any advertising works or doesn't work, right? You have people who are more affected by it. Um, but are right? Oscar I mean, voters persuadable? I mean, well, I, yeah, they're smart I don't people, know. right? They, they can't are be. they? <laughs> I don't know. Well, is that no? I mean, isn't there like this whole? I mean, a lot of people, you, you know, I've 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 seen books published about you know the runner-up, you know, for best picture and things, you know, some questionable best picture. 
you know, that'll always be a highly debated uh, topic of, of, you know, what they choose and, and, and why. But at the same time, like, I don't know Oscar voters. I've never been one or met one, so I have no idea. Well, one thing that I've noticed is, and, and I don't really know anything when it comes to movies, really, is that it seems like the field is weak. It, a lot of articles are, are saying that, especially as it relates to Deathly Hallows, saying that this could be the, the movie's opportunity, the best possibly since you know the films were created, to really pick up some awards in in 2012 because the field just doesn't have the same movie power, I guess, as it has in, in years past. I agree with that. I certainly agree with that. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck, Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, so we'll see. Well, I guess in closing, WB must believe that this kind of promotion works. Otherwise, why would they do it? I mean, you know, they are this industry. They they should know that if they promote it this much, it should certainly increase their chances. So they're doing it for a reason. And look at what happened with Return of the King, how it completely swept Oscars yeah. when it didn't previously do very well or win anything at all for the first two Lord of the Rings films. And Harry Potter hasn't won an Oscar at all for any of the previous seven films up to this point. Right. It's kind of just like, oh, by the way, this series is the most amazing feat in filmmaking ever, you know, for Return of the King. It just got everything. And, it, and you know, I'm not saying it didn't deserve it, but you're right. It was kind of a surprise, you know, that year because it was just like that whole year was dedicated to Lord of the Rings. And, and wasn't it kind of, I mean, I think I've heard people suggest that it was kind of a, not back payment, but like, we've owed you this, you know, this kind of recognition across like from previous films the you know the previous films didn't get much da, 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 but here's all of them this year because <laughs> you know nice work all right before we continue with today's news we'd like to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by audible.com the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than get this 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many new york times bestsellers for listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their great service. One audiobook to consider is Inheritance, book four in the Inheritance Cycle by Christopher Pellini. It was just released, and those of you who are big Aragon fans will not want to miss the fourth and final book in the series. It's the much-anticipated, astonishing conclusion to the worldwide best-selling Inheritance Cycle. So, to get Inheritance or any other book of your choice, visit audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. Again, that's audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. And we thank Audible for supporting the show. Harry Potter, the definitive collection, is set for release in <laughs> 2012. And this is no surprise. Uh, the Potter films will come back out of the vault, at least for a short period of time. And... What do you guys think? There's a, a small trailer, about 40 seconds long. There's nothing really uh, with respect to a features section of, of this package, and I don't think we probably will see that until maybe after this DVD, Blu-ray, is uh, has been on shelves for a little while. What, what do you mean, the one coming out now? Yeah, the one that's coming out, or... Um, I guess the show will be after it's released. So the one that, that was released on Friday. 
Well, I wouldn't expect to see any kind of feature list until a couple of months from now because I'd, I'd like to think in my mind that they're still working on some of the stuff because if it's features they already have, like filmed and stuff and arranged, they should have released it on this box set. You know, I just think, and I, I, I did a little review of the, the Blu-ray DVD combo that I think we all have, and, uh, you know, that trailer at the beginning of it is kind of, to me, was tasteless. A little bit. Because it, it, you just buy a movie. Presumably you've just purchased this movie. And it's like, here's where you can, you can, you can buy the movie again in this big set. You know? Hello. <laughs> if you had just waited, here's the collection you could have gotten. So. Well, know, that, that's, that's why I'm agreeing with you. I'm saying I don't think you're going to see a list of features if probably for maybe another two months or so until you get into the new year. Because right now, Warner Brothers is all about promoting Deathly Hallows Part 2. On Blu-ray and DVD, well, as was, well as the eight-film collection. I was surprised that there even was this ad, though, honestly. Because if they're worried at all about... Um, sorry, because if they're worried at all about, you know, bothering people, they should have included that trailer on this thing, because that... And, and, just... and here's my other question, is is how does the eight-film collection differ from the definitive collection? Well, the definitive collection's definitive. It's just branding. It? It's just... Yeah, I mean, can you top definitive? So, theoretically, this should be the last... <laughs> One right. ever. <laughs> New top definitive. Director's cut, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Well, definitive. that's the thing. So hopefully there are, listen, they're definitely saving things uh, for future releases, whether it's new deleted scenes, um, new featurettes, all that stuff. They're definitely saving. Bloopers. Bloopers, right. So I think they're holding some of that back, and that's what you'll see in the definitive collection next yeah. year. And I, by I, the way, I'm, I will guess now that it probably will come out about this time next year. They'll want it for Christmas. It'll be a Christmas release. Holiday season release. You think so? Yeah. I, yeah. I think we've been cautioning people on this podcast and, you know, everybody just has to kind of be smart with your purchase. You know, if you don't need all eight films on Blu-ray now, wait until the Divinative Collection comes around. You know? yeah. Well, Andrew, to your point, though, uh, for people here in the United States, if in fact that Definitive Collection comes out in December of 2012... They may want to get Deathly Hallows Part 2 on Blu-ray or DVD because you know, we reported uh, on the podcast, I think it was the last show, that the Harry Potter films here in the United States are going to be going into the proverbial vault. Right. And, uh, but that won't, however, be the case for those uh, overseas. Yeah, lucky people. Which is interesting. So if you want... Go and purchase uh, the French version of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2 on DVD and Blu-ray if, for whatever reason, you don't get it before December the 29th. Well, right. you will need a region, a regional, multi-region DVD player. We have yeah, that's that. Then, then yeah. fly to France and, and <laughs> buy get a DVD, DVD player, player. And buy the find power another, converter. Yeah, find a Potter fan. I'm sure there's a few there. Well, I'm announcing uh, starting next year, I will be making voyages on boats like christopher columbus to uh, w uh, eastward to get copies and bring them back to the america and i will be selling them for higher prices but i will be bringing harry potter to america <laughs> <laughs> sounds good all right yeah. and uh this is my new business last bit of news that we have the uh, head honcho at universal uh, has said that there are plans in the works for more Potter theme parks. Now, this is different than expansion. Right. Uh, is that, Universal is that, Chief Ron is that an official, Meyer. Uh, is that an official title, Head Honcho? 
Well, that's what yeah, Deadline it... called him, so <laughs> I thought that was He's wow. also re- referred to as Universal Chief. Or Movie Line. Uh, yeah, whatever, I mean. But uh, I like Head Honcho. <laughs> just sounds cooler. So uh, wrong with Head Honcho? That's, that's, no, I like it. Uh, he went to business school to become Head Honcho, clearly. By the way, this guy's a little out there. He probably wasn't supposed to say that the other Potter Parks are in the works because he he also crapped on multiple Universal films, which what? he owns. Yeah, which article. he owns. It's sorry, it wasn't uh, Deadline. It was uh, Movie Line. Um, yeah. So isn't that interesting? So they're working on other Harry Potter parks. I thought this was huge news. Um, but I guess just because it was such a short remark and. Yes. Kind of off the cuff. It wasn't that big a deal. That was the remark. What? I don't know. They oh. don't really have they don't really have other universal parks, right? Besides California and is there an yeah. overseas universal well, studios? No, but there was a rumor a long time ago. Not well it, actually it sounded more credible than a rumor. I can't remember exactly when it happened. It may have been about a year ago. Some park in India was apparently working with Universal to bring Harry Potter. Yeah, I, I remember that. India. Yeah. I remember so, that story. That could be one, but you know, it was plural. The the question was, are you working on other parks? And the problem with bringing Harry Potter to Universal LA is that it's really small. Oh, now yeah, I haven't been said. there, but that's what I've heard. And you look at it on Google Maps. I mean, it's in a mountain, so they really can't. <laughs> there's wow. very limited room to expand. Maybe they'll do like a, a Gringotts Park, right? It's all yeah. underground. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so. They may, you know, I, I think whatever they will do, if they do something in Hollywood, I don't know if it'll, unless they're going to buy land elsewhere and just build, I mean, that would be amazing if they built a second park in LA, separate from Universal Studios LA. But who knows? I mean, at the earliest, this stuff could be opening 2014, 2015, 2016, so it's still a long way off. Do you think it's possible that... The one in Orlando will see expansion before there's yeah. another park somewhere else, or or at the same time. Yeah, because and and remember in the contract between Universal and Warner Brothers, they have some agreement where the park has to see additions every two to three years in some form. And there's just been so many rumors about additions to the one in Orlando, and obviously Universal Orlando wants more additions because it'll bring everybody back. Oh yeah, and they can have another home entertainment celebration. <laughs> <laughs> or some other celebrate. But yeah, I think well that's a good transition, isn't it? What's the next story? Into as far the, as uh, oh, yeah. well, as far as the celebration. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, with the film's release on DVD and Blu-ray, which we'll be getting to uh very shortly, they're actually having a celebration down in the Harry Potter Wizarding World theme park uh that's called the Warner Brothers Home or Harry Potter Home Entertainment celebration they're having a few events and few press events and 20 of the actors and cast members i guess i don't know the difference and filmmakers are going to be in attendance down in the wizarding world for these press junkets and there's going to be a red carpet event and honestly i think mike and i had the same reaction and i think andrew you too like it's kind of just uh, another celebration, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's all the Harry Potter films on home video. So it's really exciting. They kind of want to go out with a bang, but if this really is the end of the end of the end, um, as far as celebrations go, I mean, can we, <laughs> can now. we really expect to see all these actors come back, you know, again? Well, probably when the studio tour opens, they'll do something. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and also, I think I, I predict they'll want to do these home entertainment celebrations every year around every November. Because if this one goes really well, they can sell these higher price tickets. You know, maybe they won't have as many actors back as they are this time. But, you know, then again, the grand opening of the theme park, everybody said, oh, well, how many will they all come back again? And look, they're all coming back again. <laughs> so, <laughs> so fascinating. Yeah, it's it's cool. It, it, I'm sure it'll be a fun event. Eric will be there. Um, and I don't know if this episode is coming out Saturday or Sunday, but there's a live stream from E. I can't remember what day it is. Yeah, E Online. I think it's Saturday evening. Okay. I'll have that there. Um, so, yeah. Cool. I hope it's a fun event. I mean, everybody seems to make their way down to the, the Wizarding World at one time or another. I know you have a story in here about James Cameron, the director of Avatar, and uh, he was apparently scouting, I guess, the Wizarding yeah. World for his own theme park that Disney is going to open uh, within the next few years. Yeah, Disney World's answer to Harry Potter is going to be Avatar World and whatever you want to call it. And it was just funny to me that James Cameron, it wasn't like an official visit. There wasn't like publicity photos released by Universal or anything. But there's somebody at Universal at the same time James Cameron was there, took a couple pictures of him inside the Wizarding World theme park. And it was just funny because a lot of people were saying when this original Avatar announcement was made that, oh, look, he's, uh, you know, this is this is definitely uh, in response to Harry Potter. So uh, it was just a funny little thing. I was amused. But, you know, that's what they need to do. They need to look and see what worked in Harry Potter world. And clearly the amount of detail and appreciation for the series that you see in it. I'm sure James Cameron and Disney are really going to be interested in being as loyal to James Cameron's films as possible when they're making the park. Yeah. um, I wonder if they're replacing Animal Kingdom. Because they already have that huge giant tree. Bad joke. Bad joke. (laughs) I kind of got it. That fell. Are they going to make the tree fall down? Yeah, yeah, daily, day? daily at, at one p.m. Yeah. at six p.m. And uh, the evening show has fireworks. But just on that, real quick, I know we talked about it on a previous episode, but I remember one person writing in saying that while Avatar doesn't have the same draw as Harry Potter from a fan standpoint, Disney just does so well from a, from an overall standpoint that because of the traffic that Disney gets on a regular basis, that new section of the of the park is going to do well regardless. That's true. Do you agree with that, Andrew? Because you, you go pretty often to Disneyland. Yeah. I mean, Disney, you can't beat Disney no matter what. I You know, you know Universal, the Wizarding Run in particular is a great park, but you go to Universal and you just see so many differences and it really makes you appreciate what Disney does. In terms of park cleanliness, just how they treat their guests, all that. It's a, it's a much better experience. And hopefully Universal will get better in time. But right now, D- Disney is definitely supreme. Well, I think, too, with Disney, they have a lot of other parks and a lot of other really strong parks where in the, in the past we've said, you know, Islands of Adventure is kind of scarce at times, um, you know, in terms of having something that's equally as exciting as the Harry Potter Wizarding World to go off to. I mean, I've always enjoyed Universal Studios uh, Florida when I've been there and the rides there are, are really strong, but it, it just seems like, and Disney, you know, just count them. They have far more, uh, you know, official parks and lands to go and visit. So I think in that way, Disney is... Uh, a very clear competitor to Universal, and you know any anything like you said, anything with Disney's name on it is 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 
going to possibly hurt Universal, but it's also going to be fairly successful. So that's it for the news, except for the biggest story, which will be our main discussion this week, which is the Harry Potter. Lego Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. That was released, too. (laughs) Actually, Mike is getting a review copy of that, and he'll he'll review it um, in a future episode. Anyway, um, Deathly Hallows Part 2 came out on DVD Blu-ray this past Friday in America. Sorry, UK people. I know you have to wait a few more weeks. December 2nd. We're going to review it now, and we won't – I don't think – We'll spoil too much. Um, There's not, a um, nothing that's not already really on the web at this point, right? Because right, I did a uh, 5,400 word review <laughs> on the site, um, and, on my, and people on leaked video. That's the thing: the videos of every single interview, and like they just chopped up all the interviews on the DVD and put them on the web. I don't know if Warner Brothers was behind all of it, and WB doesn't seem to care. Yeah. They're, they're on just, YouTube. They could easily get them off YouTube if they they've, wanted. They've let it go at this point. YouTube they've, is very... They, they spent so long trying to get trailers and other things <laughs> off the web that they've just given up. And I've been taking uh, transcripts and posting them on Hypeable for some of the highlights from the conversations. <laughs> just been writing transcripts. Well, text is a bit different. I think you're okay yeah, with text. And I'm not taking everything. I'm just taking a couple highlights. The video is so. just like, you know, so much of it. It's crazy. Um. Okay, so... We're going to go through some of the features that stood out to us. First of all, uh, probably the thing most people were looking forward to, I know I was, the J.K. Rowling, Dan Radcliffe one-on-one conversation. They were speaking only to each other. There was no interviewer in the center. It was just a conversation between the Harry Potter actor and the Harry Potter author, which was a great idea. As for the timing of this, I've been trying to figure out like when they actually did this. And based on Dan made one comment about being on set recently he said so that made me think this was like before the part one film release um but anyway all the information in it was brand new and there are a few particularly interesting things that um jk rowling in particular revealed about the books one was that lupin was supposed to live which was very interesting um but I mean, I think she made the better decision by killing them off, killing them both off. Because as we discussed long ago on the show, it brought it. It was a full circle kind of moment. It was that, and Teddy I remember loses his parents. Yeah, that that basically creates an orphan. And I think she said she wanted to show that that war really did mean that people were, you know, losing their family, and and you know that those were the stakes of of a war. And it really reminded me of when we were trying to debate whether or not the trio would all survive because we were thinking, okay, the three most, you know, involved people in this war, what, you know, it doesn't make sense that all three members of the trio would actually make it through all seven books because they're on the front lines. And I think it's just, it just kind of echoes that, that sentiment where war is real. And, you, you know, that's why certain characters that she didn't expect to, to get it, uh, got it. But then, uh, you remember what she said about Hagrid was why why he survived. <laughs> she said he was never in the uh never a contender for for getting eliminated, which is in stark contrast to some of the fan polls I know, you know, whenever we poll people, who's gonna die? Everybody was like Hagrid, Hagrid, Hagrid. And I well, think she he, said that yeah. he would have been a natural choice if he hadn't been the one who was responsible for bringing Harry to Privet Drive because she always again, you know, talking about bringing things full circle wanted to have Hagrid be the one carrying Harry's supposed dead body out of the Forbidden Forest. So you have sort of that connection again. 
that Andrew was referring to. Yeah, and that that was that was great. That was very smart on her part. Let's see what other story. Um, this was the biggest. J.K. Rowling, quote quote, seriously considered, end quote, killing Ron. This yeah. was a bombshell, and yeah. uh, she spoke saying, uh, "What did what did she say?" About it? <laughs> she said, "Well, later she said that she enjoys writing Ron because Dan asked her." who she enjoys writing the most. And she said, well, Dumbledore's always been part of my head, but then I enjoy writing Ron. And I said, hang on, woman. You just said you were going to kill him for like five books. And she said the reason she was considering is because she went through a dark period uh, while writing the books, and she was just in this... She she was she said, quote, I wasn't in a very happy place. I started thinking I might punish one of them off out of sheer spite. And then she said, midway through the series, in my absolute heart of hearts, although I did seriously consider Ron, anyway, I can tell you it's a real relief to talk about it. So he wouldn't have even made it to Deathly Hallows. Right. Uh, is that what she was saying? I thought so. I thought you just said mid-series. Well, not- no, I thought she meant midway through writing the series, she considered, like, that, like say she was oh. writing Goblet of Fire, Order of the Phoenix, and she was like, yeah, Ron will probably die by the end. That's how I interpreted it, but maybe not. Right. It's just so weird. Well, also remember, she thought of killing Arthur Weasley in Order of the Phoenix, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and just thinking about, um, Jesus, you know, I silenced my other phone, but this phone. How many phones so, you got? Uh, several. And so anyway, um, just thinking about some of the characters, you know, killing. I, she would have had to, if she had killed Ron earlier than book seven, I think you bring up a good point because then she would have had to deal with like, the other characters' reactions to his death, right? You know, if she killed him in book five, book six would all be like, oh, I wish Ron were here, and it would be all depressing and sad, and she just had to keep going back to it. I think when she's chosen to kill characters, it's been those characters that, you know, the people who care about them are still able to move forward, whereas Ron just seems to be even more central to, to Harry and Hermione than Dumbledore or even Sirius. Um, I believe that Ron, it was a good idea to kill Ron or one of the trio members really? because I just think it was too perfect that the three made it through the entire thing. I mean, they were all, th- all, all faced so much trouble throughout the series, and especially in book seven. I think one of them finally should have got what was coming to them. <laughs> it's just, it's too perfect. And having Harry and Hermione suffer that loss for Hermione to suffer the loss of somebody she loved. I just think it would have been great. Wait, what loss did Hermione suffer? Well, maybe she wasn't as in love with... Uh, I, I mean, losing Ron, because certainly by that point she was having feelings for Ron. Oh, okay. They weren't married, but well, I just I just think it was too convenient that all three made it all the way through. Well, don't pity don't pity the dead, Andrew. Pity the living. Right. Well, that's that's why <laughs> Ron should have died. Micah, tell us how George R. R. Martin, the, Game of Th- or the uh, Song of Ice and Thire- Fire author, just kills people. Nonstop, right? Well, without spoiling too much, uh, he he has no uh, second thought. <laughs> I would say when it comes to killing a character, he's not afraid to kill off the characters. It's just it, you'll be reading the book, and you'll think the character is completely safe. Oh, I'm reading this chapter, and all of a sudden that character's dead. <laughs> and there, and he just he does it because it's a reality and right. He's not afraid to, to. He says in almost every interview that he's just not afraid to kill off the main characters. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. 
<laughs> I'm sadistic. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a political thing, but there are some things you just shouldn't do in literature. You know, you can't make these drastic decisions with no regard for the readership in some ways. I mean... But is it really worth not killing him just to appease the readers? Well, I don't necessarily think that Rod should have died. But at the same time, you realize, like, these... I don't know. Authorship is authorship, right? You have the final say in everything. You shouldn't care what anybody thinks of you. But at the same time, there, you know, there are these uh, greater morals and greater things that appeal to a lot of people. And if people can get behind what it is you're saying, you're going to be more successful. Um, so I don't know if that, I mean, that obviously comes into play a little bit, um, with the Harry Potter series where, you know, she did have this tremendous fan reaction to this, the tiniest things. And you almost can't take it into account. I think she says, even in this interview, you know, when Dan asked her about having, you know, such a, a large fan base, she, she, she said she really tried to stay unaware of it, uh, you know, for, for, for a lot of the, a lot of times because it would affect sort of her writing and, and change her sympathies, uh, f- you know, for the worse. Yeah, but but tying it back just for a second to the uh, Song of Ice and Fire series, you know, those characters by the second book, let's say, in the series, are immersed into war. And J.K. Rowling points out that one of the realities of war is that people die, families are destroyed. And I think that you know, that's why she did kill the characters that she did in Deathly Hallows. And, you know, I kind of agree with Andrew a little bit that it's almost too perfect that the trio made it through completely intact. Well, I mean, wasn't with, I wasn't I just saying this, too, that they're on the front line, so it doesn't make too much sense? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but you know, then again, it's not... I mean, there are winners in a, in a in a war. There are victors and there are losers. And I think the victors, you know, there are families that survive war. There are there are whole entire families that survive war in real war. So why wouldn't there? You know, I mean, that's fair. I, I, I mean, also, and, and the other thing we yeah. should also bring up is that Harry did he die? <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I know somebody's going to write in and say, "Well, technically, <laughs> Harry, Harry died. did have that moment at King's Cross that you guys yeah, didn't all talk right. about." Well, that's fair enough. That's uh, that's actually a fair fair argument. But somebody should have died for good. <laughs> oh, as Rolling <laughs> as Rolling says on the DVD, Roll, um, Harry did have a death scene. Yes, that was so funny. And I think one of the things I enjoyed most about this conversation um, with Dan Radcliffe and J.K. Rowling, they were telling the story about. Matt Lewis, I guess, when J.K. Rowling approached Matt Lewis at the premiere of, I think it was Order of the Phoenix, and J.K. Rowling was so inspired to go and tell him that, you know, she's got some great things for Neville uh, in the upcoming book. And I think, didn't she say he, he practically, like, screamed back at her, I don't want to know! Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and ran away. That was hilarious. Um, this is something we kind of already knew. Alan Rickman did know about Snape and Lily, that, that Snape loved Lily, and that's why Snape was, um, you know, was the way he was towards Harry, treated the way, treated Harry how he did. You know, what's funny, didn't, didn't Dan say that there were times when he imagined Snape, or, sorry, Jesus, where he imagined Alan, uh, abusing that, um, yeah, not the, not imagined. He did it. Oh, he did that, abuse it. Alan would be on set and say, given what I know, <laughs> I think this should be happening this way. <laughs> which is funny 
Um, and that's another thing they talked about in Maximum Movie Mode. They actually went back to that, uh, you know, and the idea that David Heyman and them didn't know, you know, until until a little later on. But I think David Heyman said, too, that's one of the reasons that Alan's performance is going to stand the test of time and is going to be so successful is because they, you know, Snape uh, knows and, and Alan knows and he was able to portray that even in the first few films. Going back, you can see that, you know, he knows you can read more into his performance. J.K. Rowling also said that she really wanted Robbie Coltrane. She said that was actually one of the sticking points that she had. She kept asking for Coltrane, even though they were looking for different actors or they were considering different actors. You know, it's interesting. There's a um, there's a bit in page to screen about that. The Harry Potter page to screen, Harper Collins's uh, second book, and there's there's all sorts of concept art about um, you know sort of different. Hagrid, but because Robbie Coltrane was was so preferred by Joe, um, some of the earliest concept art still like has him as like the basis for it. So he was like the first person they kind of cast, and it was due to her suggestion. I wonder though what she had seen him in, you know, that made him. I mean, I'm sure he's quite. I'm sure he's quite well known, but still, in Bond, he plays a cripple or a partial cripple, so he's not exactly like you can't get any 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 st- um, idea of him being like super tall. Right, because he's because he's crouching and he's sitting down. I mean, they would have had to make anyone super tall, though. I think what may have stood out for her was maybe his face. Well, in real life, he's very tall, though, right? I mean, that's that's the other thing. I guess without extenders, yeah, I I feel like he's just got this reputation. He's probably you know been in lots of things in Britain that that she would know him from. I just that's what I was asking. Um, But yeah, he's just a massive guy. Um, But anybody would look similar wouldn't they in that much of a beard and yeah and... but it's also the personality he brings it's well, the that's acting the thing. you know yeah i that's... i love you know hagrid and and robbie culture and his hagrid is, is yeah, just he, dandy he brings the spirit and sure they they buffed him up more they made him taller but also just the, the, the he's a very warm person robbie coltrane you know he's just a great actor that's what it comes down to that's why Joe wanted him. It's the acting. Maybe not so much a physical appearance, even though he certainly fit the part. I mean, they couldn't have put uh, Alan Rickman into the role of, of Hagrid. They needed some, some, somebody who was a, a bit physically large to help out. Uh, what else did we learn here? J.K. Rowling told Dan that Harry would have a death scene. I'm, was that entirely new? I, I thought. Uh, yeah, I think I'd heard that exact story before. Yeah, um, me too. So yeah, probably wasn't. But but again, hearing it like, just like anything else, hearing it from them, you know, the fact that they're in this room talking with each other for yeah. this, this extended period of time blows away anything, any other news source. That well, you, Dan you can also mentioned that prior to that, he played it up as if he knew what happened when he really did. Yeah. <laughs> again, it's you know relating to the other actors on set and stuff and bragging. I think he said he did it at, at, at some point. He he bragged that he knew what was going to happen, but. I think he ended up being caught in a lie later on. And another thing that was interesting, he said that he was, he felt closer to members of the crew than he was to some of the cast and that he was going to miss sort of the day-to-day interaction with members of the crew. Yeah, that's a really personal bit. He's talking about his, uh, his makeup team and how I think towards the end of the shooting for Deathly Hallows, the films, uh, they mentioned you know, sort of what their next project was going to be or something, but it was going to, basically, it wasn't going to involve him. So he got very upset because this person who had put on his makeup for, you know, 10 years, uh, you know, obviously it's a very intimate thing because you got to do it before every shot, you know, every shoot. 
uh, was going on to do something else without him. And he said that that really that's that's what hit him the most. I think emotionally, he said in the interview. And and J.K. Rowling completely understood. And I think didn't she say you know that she had been close to some of her? I mean, not obviously it's not the same closeness, but but just you know her team of people writing the books, you know. And so she she totally empathized with him. Yeah, and then Dan mentioned how Leavesden was very isolated because there were no other films that were taking place at the same time, so you didn't have the cast interacting with other cast, the crew interacting with other crew. It was just Harry Potter, which apparently is unique. As uh, we've really uh, emphasized on the show, fans of, uh, fans pick apart the uh, details about the books versus the films, and they did talk about that a little bit during the interview. Um, Rowling actually addressed Harry's green eyes, and the gist of the story was that um, David Heyman, the producer, called Rowling and said, how important is it that Harry's eyes are green? And she said it's not important so long as whoever you cast as Lily has eyes that are similar to Harry's. Right, because it's the connection between their eyes that's important. Yes. And uh, some people brought up a good point when we posted it on Hypo in the comments. It's like, well, Lily's eyes don't look like Harry's eyes. So what happened? <laughs> <laughs> so that, that story is yet to be told. Um, oh. But, I mean, what are you guys saying? Do, do Lily, Lily's eyes in, I guess, Deathly Hallows in particular look like Harry's? You mean actress Geraldine Somerville? Yes, her. I don't remember to be honest yeah, with you. Like, I don't even know how to compare well eyes. The movie's not and, well lit. I think it's one of those things where it's like you have to trust the characters when they say that, right? You have your mother's eyes. Okay, I have my mother's eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. G.K. You know. Rowling made made the perfect comment. I thought, and and look, we are, are more uh, culpable than any other <laughs> group of people because we have torn the films apart uh, on this show many, many, many times. Um, but she even said it herself at the end of the day, the books are too long to make into very faithful films. And I don't think that you can, you know, kind of respond to that in any way. She's the author and, and she realizes this. So, you know, that's just one thing that people are going to have to deal with. Couple other things here. Dan is allergic. Dan was allergic to his glasses at first. He he revealed that, which was funny and kind of sad. Yeah, he didn't know. They didn't know what were causing the the allergies around his eyes. <laughs> yeah, turned out to be his glasses. Why? Do you think it says something like because it's new to him? So like, because you don't really get over an allergy, or you can, I guess. But but it was like an allergic reaction. He had an allergic reaction to his glasses, but then after a little while, it was okay. Or did they change, like, the type of what his glasses were made of? Because still to this day, he's allergic. No, I don't think he's still allergic to this day. Yeah. He just he's just said at the very beginning. So they must have changed the material they were made of. Well, something. he ended up getting over because he said that's the prop he was going to take with him. <laughs> she, Yeah, J.K. Rowling accused uh, – didn't she accuse all of them of, like, already having things that they were going to take? <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised by yeah. that. But everybody will admit to that freely when we – you know, when we speak to him, too. Uh, Dan and J.K. Rowling joke about being dictators, able uh, able to mobilize the Potter masses. Yeah, that was interesting. That was like the um, that was like the Oprah moment. You know, the J.K. Rowling Oprah. I was Oprah. totally thinking that, too. Wasn't yeah. it? Where yep. it was just like, we have so much money, don't we? We have so much money. Right, right. Oh, my God. We're so rich. <laughs> but, but really, it was like that, that kind of – I wasn't as uncomfortable about it, really, because – you have to admit that, that what they were saying was partially in, in a sick world true. Um, but yeah, basically, I think what – what were what do they say exactly? 
Well, they were they were talking about uh, showing up at the premieres and sort of seeing. I think, and this might also provide some perspective on when this interview was. They were talking about the last premiere and how it poured. So that was how. Or that was Half Blood Prince. Okay. Yeah, or was it Part One? Part One, one it rained too. Not as much though right. as Half Blood Prince. Oh, though. but they were saying. But they were. Yeah. How many people were there, despite the rain, and that they could, you know, easily mobilize, uh, you know, this many people? And J.K. Rowling was referring to, I guess, maybe, uh, she was on a, a book tour and she had seen all these people, and and Dan was referring to the premiere. I don't know specifically what the events were, but I know one of them was a premiere, and they were talking about sort of the, the hundreds, if not thousands, of people that were there and how they could just, you know, march on the uh, palace. The palace, I think, I think Dan, Dan said about. something like that. Yeah, he said, because the enthusiasm was so great from everybody, even in spite of the rain, that if if one of them, either J- Joe or Harry, had, uh, you know, just said, today we march, you know, then they, they could have taken everybody elsewhere. I mean, I assume they were joking, but it seems like, yeah, does this surprise them? I mean, they're seeing their favorite author and their favorite actor. Like, of course, they're going to come out in the rain. It doesn't matter. Joe says, is it early in this conversation or early in the Women of Harry Potter, where she says that typically authors don't have that much power? So Yes, she does say that. She she thinks it's uh, totally um, not disingenuous or is disingenuous. I forget. For her to to be able to say that she is still surprised by – you know, any power that, that the series has afforded her. I thought that was a good quote from, from Joe. Another interesting thing that, that I thought Dan said early on in the conversation, he was talking about uh, himself, Rupert and Emma, and he was saying how in the UK, the child comes before the celebrity, whereas in America, the celebrity comes before the child. And that's why they felt that they were able to, kind of grow up out of the limelight whereas let's say they had grown up in america it would have been completely different do you guys remember that yeah i also remember about the films possibly being filmed in america yeah she had a pretty adverse reaction to that yeah that's why i love this because like they both learned so much from each other too (laughs) so Um, we should uh we should get to the other features yeah, we yeah we're going long here. Um, okay, so yeah, a bunch of other stuff you can see the rest for yourself. It's all in the it's almost an hour. The entire J.K. Rowling Dan Rakoff conversation. Also on the DVD was Maximum Movie Mode. They had this on Half Blood Prince Part One, and of course now Part Two. And I love this. I really do. Um, I read in a review that the Maximum Movie Mode it brings the movie to over three hours. It's because two. Well, it's two and a half hours. They oh, count, I don't but they, know where but, I read that. well, there's the things though, is that they count the credits. So it's like when you go on the menu and it says timestamp and it's two hours, 47 minutes, they're counting the credits. Um, but also there are the focus points. You remember those from the, it's like on disc one, they have the focus points. So it's not part of maximum movie mode, but they pop up during maximum movie mode where you can go and and view these focus points but so like in addition to all the stuff they're flipping and rewinding and going back and doing in maximum movie mode it also links to those focus moments which are provided separately on the main menu um so yeah and those those last those total a half an hour so that is your three hours right there um and it's just and the deleted scenes are inserted too seamlessly and a little deleted scene kind of banner comes up so you're aware in case you're wondering why some special effects weren't done or why you didn't see it in theaters 
And it's it's just great. It's such a unique way to enjoy the film a second time. So say, you know, you get the DVD and you watch it a normal time like you would in theaters. And then maybe a couple of days later, you watch Maximum Movie Mood. And it's, and it's exciting because you're waiting for each um, new featurette to pop up. You're waiting for the deleted scenes. And you learn a lot of cool information. And the actors who are in it, Matt Lewis, I know uh, David Barron, the producer... They, uh, they all have fun and uh, interesting tidbits to share. So I, I love Maximum Movie Mode. It's it's really great. It's a shame all the DVDs didn't get them. But That's the thing. Do you, think in thing. The, do you think in the definitive collection on Blu-ray, maybe they'll do that? Would that it be, would be cool. I mean, it'd be but cool. they'd, have to reach, they'd have to shoot so much. Right. I, know, I guess they could. More stuff of them standing. Yeah. Well, um, this was the first time I saw Maximum Movie Mode, but I, I have the part one on Blu-ray and... I'll probably buy the part six on Blu-ray, but maybe I'll wait till the definitive part collection. Six. Movie, or, six. movie six <laughs> on Blu-ray, but but still, I I think that this this maximum movie mode maybe want to see maximum movie modes for the other ones because you know more than any documentary is going to do. Documentaries are typically only about a couple things, you know. Whereas maximum movie mode, they were able to take one scene and talk about all the aspects of the scene without it taking too much time. You know, because it's just a quick cutaway that says, by the way, about these masks on the goblins. Or Do you feel that it interrupts the movie at all? Well, yeah, it does. But isn't that the point? I mean, the movie itself. Yeah, no, I was just wondering what your reaction was to it. Yeah, that's why you don't watch it the first time you get the DVD. Yeah, you watch definitely it like... not. Um, but, 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 yeah, I mean, more to, that, more to that point, like, I don't think there were one or two minutes that went by without somebody interrupting in the film minimizing into picture in picture um you know that that's that shows it works two ways it shows how much you know material there is to really talk about and i was i was happy to learn all that stuff um but yeah i guess you know if you want an interruption to the film obviously don't choose maximum movie mode if you <laughs> if you want an uninterrupted version play the version um but yeah, it was very thorough on this disc, and it did make me want to go back and see, you know, definitely for the, the existing ones already on 6 and 7. And and while I'm thinking of it, one disappointment with this one and part one, frankly, is Half-Blood Prince, the Blu-ray, if you had the Blu-ray, you could um, tune in at a certain time for a live commentary hosted by Dan Radcliffe and producer David Barron. They did this only once, and it was just for Half-Blood Prince. It, again, it was live. So you were watching the movie live with Radcliffe and Barron. It was really cool. And they were taking questions from Twitter or something. It was through this technology called BD Live. And if you had the Blu-ray, like I said, you could watch it live with them. And they didn't do it again. And they, they should have. They, they should have done it for part two. Digital Spy, um, which I think reviewed this, this set first, said there, there is a, an icon for BD yeah, it's, Live. It's on there. I saw it. But that, I think that's just so like you can connect and like you can post through Facebook. And I think you can, you can watch it with other friends. You can sync it up to watch with other friends and talk about it. Yeah. But well, it's possible the home entertainment celebration got in the way of the the BD Live. That's true. Chat. Maybe it was like this is too much. <laughs> I mean, but there's always the opportunity to do it later, right? Essentially, I mean, if it's the internet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so that's true. good. How about Goblins of Gringotts? This was a feature at a lot of work. Davis, a lot of the making of all the goblins, which I know work talked about quite a bit while promoting part two. I liked it. I I the reason why is because. You learned that they're all from an agency that Warwick Davis runs for, um, you know, small actors, essentially. And, 
also getting to see that his wife was in the film, that his kids were in the film. I thought that was really cool. And and just how much work went in in Deathly Hallows Part 2 to creating the this Gringotts scene. I mean, they, they essentially went all out. They talked about how, I think they said they only had nine goblins in Sorcerer's Stone to going to around 60 in this film. Yeah. Yeah, and still, though, it's not much more time spent seeing them on screen, you know? It's it's just the kind of to fill out the world, and, and that's what I enjoy most about this process is there's still, you know, at the end of this 10 or 11-minute documentary, you're, we're still talking about maybe 60 seconds on film, uh, you know, and this whole process of casting and casting the masks, which of which there were like 45 prosthetic, you know, sets it's just unbelievable that that all this stuff and 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 when you think of you know this movie being a multi-million dollar movie and movies these days costing millions of dollars well like this is the kind of things that 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 rack up that price because you're you're you know even the man hours alone uh to 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 make the gringotts scene possible um had to be enormous um and you really i think that's why i like this uh documentary was because it really broke that down a little bit better for me yeah, you also got insight into some of the other actors that had done work in previous Potter films. And you could see that they were a very close-knit community. Yeah. Yeah, definitely seeing seeing the actors. And even all the parts that Warwick Davis had played in the past. Um, I think there were two more than I was expecting, so that was really cool. The other big feature was the women of Harry Potter. Ah. And this was great. Again, a lot of new information. J.K. Rowling featured very prominently in this. Also, uh, Helen McCrory, who plays Narcissa Malfoy, Bonnie Wright, who plays Ginny Weasley, um, Helen, uh, uh, what's her name? Helen, uh, Helena Bonham Carter, who plays Bellatrix, and someone else I'm forgetting. Oh, uh, Umbridge, um, who plays Umbridge? Imelda Stone. Um, yeah. And this Don't was- Don't forget Emma Watson. Emma Watson, oh yes, how could I forget? And this was great. I mean, it included lots of, um, Lots of good clips about women empowerment, feminism. J.K. Rowling shared some interesting details about um, Molly Weasley. Um, we also Emma Watson was saying how uh, Bellatrix or Helen Hel- Helena Bonham Carter was a very big influence on her, and she went home after dinner with Helena one, Helena one night and took some notes about what she learned from her. Stuff like that. It was really, really great. I'm sure all the female, like, frankly, anybody should watch it. It, it is very interesting. I'm, I'm glad they did it too. Mm-hmm. Like the men of Harry Potter would have been so boring. But <laughs> this was actually really good. This was a quick, this was a quick thing too. I mean, it's 20 mm-hmm. minutes. It just zooms through it and it has sort of, you hear from all of the, the females and, you know, in the, involved in the films. And they, they talk about how they related to their characters and why and how they related to each other and why. Um, and, and just having JK Rowling host this and, you know, the, 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 she really does host this video and she explains, you know, a bit about her, her process and, and that she, you know, is aligned with the, the feminist, you know, theory that women are not at all boring and that they, they completely compete with the men. You know, I just liked hearing from Joe about this in addition to everybody else. And I thought that the, uh, the second disc of the set was very, J.K. Rowling heavy, because you've it got was. this hour of this conversation between her and Dan, and then this w- Women of uh, Harry's World documentary, um, which again, she she fronts. So I was just surprised, I guess, that this Deathly Hallows Part 2 movie had so much J.K. Rowling content. 
And I'd almost like to see if it, you know, moving forward, if it's possible, sort of the, the unscripted conversation that existed between Dan Radcliffe and J.K. Rowling, because I thought that provided much more information, much more insight. It was sort of a very comfortable conversation. And, you know, for them to possibly, I, I, it's almost like you wish they would have done that in the past with different actors, maybe with a member of the crew. I understand why it's it's so special in this case, because it is J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter, essentially. Something um, something we haven't seen yet is probably one of the cooler things that we're looking forward to. It's When Harry Left Hogwarts. It's a documentary by a famed director. He's very, very well-known. Stalling. Uh, Morgan Matthews. And a trailer Ooh. was released. <laughs> who? Is that who he said? It was a joke. Very acclaimed director. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I kind of made that part up. I gotta tell you, I'm not looking forward to this because... For, for one specific reason, and that is that it's a cheap marketing ploy that you can only get this documentary as part of the four-part Blu-ray set, which I assume is just the Blu-ray DVD combo pack, but with one extra disc that has this documentary on it. And only at Target. Only at Target. Come on. In the United States. Yeah. I, now, wait a second. That's not it. Morgan Matthews's fault. Warner Brothers bought it from him, and then okay, they decided okay, okay. to do a deal with Target. So I, I don't think the documentary, by any stretch of the imagination, is going to be some cheap marketing ploy. But yes, the way Warner Brothers is distributing it, that part is lame. Okay. I should have said, <laughs> yeah, it is unfortunate that this – this is sure to be a great documentary, I think, from the trailer and everything you can find online yeah. about it. It really looks good. I mean, seeing the trio in the back of a taxi with bags in their, you know, over their heads to cover their identities, like it's just yeah. something. It's the side of the fandom you just don't see. the The basic gist of it, and this is what I think is so cool, is that Morgan Matthews was there throughout the filming of the final two films, so you really get a great behind the scenes look. Um, and he was even there the day the set caught on fire. Remember when that happened? <laughs> Weren't you there, too? No. I was there like a week later, I think, <laughs> or something like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's there, and you see so much great stuff in it. Now, all the actors, Robbie Coltrane, Alan Rickman, um, um, the dude who play, plays uh, Malfoy, uh, Jason Isaacs. No, sorry, Malfoy dad. Uh, Helena Bonham Carter. I mean, they're all in this. So it's going to be a great documentary. I'm, I'm pumped. But, I mean... I hate to encourage this, but honestly, I'm not going to go buy another copy at Target, so I'm just going to download it online. <laughs> yeah, it's just so hard to, it's, it's, they're making it in the, in the current box set releases, they're just making it very difficult for fans to get all that there is out there, um, you know, for, for these films. And that's what I don't, that's my only problem with them. Yeah, there, there definitely should be a place where you can get all of these features if you want to go and buy let's say the Blu-ray triple play, it should have everything in it. It shouldn't be that they're exclusive to Target or Walmart or, you know, Best Buy or mm -hmm. whatever place you're going to buy it. And, and that there should be 50 million versions of the, the DVD and Blu-ray. I agree. And then each of them have a trailer for the definitive collection, which comes out next year. <laughs> well, here's our recommendation. I think it's very clear. If you're in the United States, definitely buy it from Target. You get everything if you get if you get it from Target. Yeah, and that period. Might, that might not have been clear at first, but I think it's clear now. You pretty, you will get everything if you go. See, to what's interesting is if you get it from WB, you don't get everything. I know. Yeah, I know. That's Can the someone thing. explain that to me? Well, W Target probably paid some extra amount of money to have the exclusive 
bonus thing. It's not. It's not like Target. They're just, like, WB. They 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 own all that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but, but 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 Target pays them to have this exclusive edition. It's true. All right, and it brings people into Target. I already go to Target no matter what. I food shop there. Okay, to wrap up, to, to we're getting towards the end of our review here. Uh, the deleted scenes. This is something everybody always looks forward to. And again, these leaked online as well. And, and WB didn't take them down, uh, which is good for fans. The There are eight of them, and they last a total of under five minutes. Yeah, I know. That was such a disappointment. But I think my favorite was the Hogshead uh, with Aberforth. With the green screen. Yeah. Where the portrait should have been. Was yeah. this... Uh... This was the short one, though, right? Like, it was, like, 20 seconds, and uh, didn't he just have, like, one extra line that wasn't in the movie? Yeah, yeah. But it was, like, um, it was like a really important one about, like, a- Ariana or something dying. Yeah, about Dumbledore wanting to, um, he, 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 um, everybody he treats nicely, he ends up screwing over. Or anybody he cares for, he ends up screwing over, something like that. Hmm. Ends up dying. I Ends up dying. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Which they then get screwed over. But And he had that, you know, same line he has in the movie. Oh, nice job? Yeah, ni- nice. What, what does he say? He says something very sarcastic, you know? So, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ni- nice job Dumbledore gave you. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's Easy. Aberforth. <laughs> Easy, Easy, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that was probably from the first round of filming, too, because I think during Maximum Movie Mode, David Heyman goes into how they did reshoot the Aberforth scene, or it's David Yates who says it, and... How they did cut out that, you know, things like that little bit of backstory, that extra backstory on Ariana that didn't make it into the film, uh, just for the flow of the scene or whatever. But I think overall, I was really satisfied with the Aberforth content because one of the focus points is direct, is, is, uh, focused directly on him and, you know, how they transformed him and stuff. So you get the feeling that, that they did care a lot about, um, you know, Aberforth in this scene with, with Harry and him, but. That deleted scene was interesting, but I saw why it wouldn't fit back in the movie. Any other scenes that stood out to you guys? That the deleted scenes? Well, the yeah, the first one I was going to say because uh, it's called Shell Cottage, but you get more insight into Harry and how he shouldn't trust uh, Griphook. You know, it's almost like Bill is telling him, be very careful sort of the way that you worded your agreement with him. And we, we know that that comes back to sort of bite him uh, later on. When Griphook says, I told you I would get you into the vault. I never said I would get you out. Yeah. And um, just having, you know, Dom Hall Gleason have five extra lines in the film, I think, is a great thing um, because he's a good actor. You know, these these actors are you know, having their lines cut from the major motion picture as a result of pacing. And that's unfortunate for them. And I, I like, I like that these were included. Obviously the fact that these deleted scenes are included here shows that, you know, there is some real performance. There's something worth seeing. Um, you know, it didn't make it in the film. You also get a, a couple more seconds of Fleur as well. Yeah. Right. Where she donates oh. some of her clothing to Hermione. Uh, and then also uh, Harry and Luna at Dobby's grave on the beach. There were there were two things there. One, you actually see Luna going back to Hogwarts, which is something that if you're watching the movie, you don't really get because one minute she's at Shell Cottage, and then the next scene after she's they break the free from Gringotts, she's magically at Hogwarts. Uh, and then also Harry talking about seeing Dumbledore in the uh, the piece of the mirror that he has. Uh, which helps, I would think, would help 
people who hadn't read the books understand then more a little more about uh, Aberforth later on. Mm-hmm. I think that that kind of a thing that the plot line of the mirror kind of got lost between the, the the cut of the film because obviously in part one he's looking at the mirror and so that's when if that's Joe Cottage scene where Ron asks him hey what's about the mirror you know if that had made it into part one I'm pretty sure that that scene would have you know been kept in you know what I'm saying but since it's been a film since he really looked into the mirror it might not have needed explanation at the beginning of the film as much as it did and uh Probably the only other one I think people would be interested in is the the Hogwarts battlements mm-hmm. where Tonks shows up and she mentions Teddy. And it was such a small scene. They really, you know, it's one of those things. It's like, why not? <laughs> Does it really affect the pacing that much? You couldn't include that, like, two, those two extra lines? Yeah, that was... I don't get it. Well, if they're it's doing okay. something else, if the camera's doing something else and the audience's mind, you know, they have, mm. they have uh, what was I going to say? They have professors studying this kind of a thing. <laughs> so, I And I thought it was funny, uh, Seamus setting up all the explosives. But he doesn't have any extra lines. It's a deleted scene. But... Yeah, <laughs> and the other deleted scenes were just kind of okay, I guess. I mean, they didn't really stand out to me. No, and they fit so well back into the film that even in maximum movie mode, they're inserted into the film. So, overall, I wanted a little bit more. Um, but... That that reminds me. Um, none of the deleted scenes. I was looking forward to a deleted scene about uh, King's Cross at the or not King's Cross, but the epilogue. Um, but fortunately, even though there aren't any deleted scenes about the epilogue, we, I, I did forget to mention that in maximum movie mode, there is about a five or ten minutes at the end of the film devoted to the epilogue uh, in maximum movie mode. So it was. It, there is some extra content about the epilogue. After all, you just have to really search for it. But I think you get a look at. Uh, not Teddy Lupin, but Draco's kid. Um, is it Scorpius? And and stuff just kind of in the background again. Not really too much focus. Um, I'm again. I'm looking forward to more of a, a documentary. You know, maybe on future releases. Um, but as for deleted scenes, I was really hoping for something from you know, like we talked about the the original epilogue with um, you know Will Dunn uh, when we spoke with with him and uh, he mentioned it. And it is on maximum movie mode to some extent. They do have a bit there, so. I did want to mention that. So overall, um, quality rating, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, I mean, satisfied with this release? Final standard film release on DVD? Yeah. I am. Yeah. Um, it's just I can't shake this feeling that they're holding out for something better, right? <laughs> yeah. That's 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 the thing that that interrupts any any you know proper review. I think is is the trailer for. This upcoming set, I'm just like, oh, I can rate this right now, but, but wait a minute, how's the definitive collection going to be, you know, in comparison? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think as far as content, it's great. Um, it, it was uh, weird to watch this one in the comfort of my own home. You think so? Yeah, just because, I don't know, I, I guess because the number of times we've seen it in theaters and like just how, you know, it was only a few months ago that this came out and that this premiered, which seems so surreal. And now just to watch it at home and it's the last one i don't know it's kind of crazy um but i think it was great the blu-ray quality is fantastic i loved how much jk rowling was involved in in the special features she sure she certainly didn't have to be um she's never really been involved in the dvd special features well, but let's, let's see if she what if what if she wasn't i mean what if she was not involved in this film special features the only 
thing they'd have on disc two, besides the Pottermore trailer, would be Warwick Davis ten minute, you know, Green Guts. Well, they'd still. They, I mean, they of- still could have done Women of Harry Potter. It just would not have been as good. Um, and they could have done a one on one conversation. It just would have been, you know, with someone else who knows. Who I mean, they could have put Dan with the, the David Yates or one of the producers, and I'm sure it still would be interesting. But of course, Dan and Joe is the best com- combination you can yeah, do. Yeah, I agree. But I mean, if you're talking about specific film-related content for a specific film's DVD and Blu-ray release, don't you think they could have fit everything into one Blu-ray disc? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, the other thing is the reason that they don't put it all into one disc is that they can leave the film as uncompressed as possible. So the, the the one disc is just the film. They don't have to compress it much, meaning c- compress the video quality to to make room for the special features. So that that's the reason for that. But um, you know, yeah, one disc would certainly be easier. <laughs> um, I had, I had a question. Favorite scene? Now that you're rewatching it in the comfort of your own home, like Ooh. you know, you may have a favorite scene in the theater because it's really big and you're being through, you know, and you're you're in this surround sound. But what what's the what's your guys' favorite scene now? Watching it at home a couple months after you last saw it. Wow, good. It question. could be the same scene. Uh, but- I really I really like the Gringotts scene. I, I you know I like them going down to the vault, but then it's sort of the escape as well, and just seeing that dragon you bust through the top. Mm-hmm. And I know we talked about it, uh, whether it was on the live show in Orlando, or we talked about it since then, but just the detail that was put into, you know, the dragon kind of taking in that fresh air. Yeah. I on love top that. Of, mm-hmm. On top of the, uh, uh, the, the bank, you know, he's been chained up for so long. And, you know, those are the types of things that as a fan, you appreciate and you look at and you say, you know, David Heyman, David Barron, Steve Clovis, those guys took the time to sort of include those things in there. But just that whole scene, rewatching it again, I just, that's one of my favorite scenes in that film. Yeah. How yeah. about you, Eric? I like, I think I still like um, Neville's stand when, when, you know, they're all in the courtyard after Harry's about to die. Um, I think that scene is very strong because Voldemort is obviously. Has, has like sort of a, a false uh, giddiness about him, um, and so he allows you know Neville to to speak his mind. When it becomes clear that Neville's not standing forward to join his ranks, Voldemort still has that ounce of of humanity that that glee from moments prior that he lets him speak, and it becomes such an effective speech. Um, I, I like that character point, and some of the special features talking about that scene during maximum movie mode. Talk about how, you know, into it Ray Fiennes got with that performance, you know, in the courtyard where he could, at any moment, Voldemort could be looking at you if you were standing, you know, in the courtyard that, that he would play off of different people in the different takes. And so he was very unnerving to people. And I think that that plays through. I think, you know, just Ray Fiennes, it's his probably his finest moment as Voldemort in that scene. Yeah. Hmm. My favorite scene has to be King's Cross, I think. I just love Dumbledore's words to Harry. I love the calmness. I love the emotional release that you finally get after at, at that point. It's good to see Michael Gammon again. Yeah, exactly. And and his words are just so great. Now, every time I watch a scene, I think back to the junket where he said that he teared up when he said, uh, when he first started saying his lines in that scene, when he says, Harry, my dear boy, he says it, I teared up the first time he said that, which oh, I just love. man. Yeah. And, um, well, yeah. do you so know why, do we cross. know why yet he actually changed 
Because he amended his line in front of Harry in that scene. He's like, oh, I love of, that. But why? What does it mean? I don't understand the new wording of help will be given to those who deserve it. Instead of those who ask for it, does that mean that some people are actually well, going to be mean, turned away? Like, well, yeah, I mean, because there, there's because evil people don't deserve it. Um, look at Draco when he enters the rumor requirement. But Draco's not know, evil. Th- well, in that scene that he was, though, I mean, maybe that's not okay. That's not the best example. But I think what Dumbledore is saying that to, to the good, the good people will be helped at Hogwarts. I mean, look at what happened in that film. I, the, the, everybody helped Harry because he deserved it. Help will be given at Hogwarts. I mean, everybody was helping Harry. They were defending the castle. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I always think of that as some kind of incantation, though, that Dumbledore is saying, you know, that's going to evoke mm-hmm. some really dependable ancient magic, which is why I was confused, because I was like, wait a minute, you're dead. How can you change things now? You know, but that was just me. That's my take on it. I mean, uh, if yeah, I think it people, makes sense. please, please email in and give your own takes on that. I'm, you know, that that wasn't a line from the book. So be interested to hear what, what you guys think. And that's our uh, DVD review show. It, wow, I didn't think we'd be talking about the DVD for that long, but evidently there, yeah. there really was a lot of stuff well, on it. We'll, sh- we'll be talking about it longer on the next episode or two episodes. <laughs> oh from yes, now. wow! You should change, um, Andrew. Just your phrasing there. Uh, not that I'm the king of phrasing, but you said DVD when actually, <laughs> very clearly, it's now moving onward from DVD. So I would su- I would suggest as a substitute home video or Blu-ray, but. I had the same trouble in my review. I was like, DVD this, DVD that. Wait a minute. There are no special features on the DVD. (laughs) I can't actually talk about the DVD. But it's been synonymous with home video release ever since, you know, the early new century. So so coming up in the next few weeks, uh, actually in the next few days, um, we're going to have uh, Quidditch interviews from New York City. Mike is going to be there, our intrepid news reporter he'll be interviewing some of the people uh, at the quidditch world cup the fans you know some people involved and that'll be a special episode in and of itself so that'll be fun and then the episode after that will be our commentary we will be sitting down together via the wonders of the internet and watching the dvd in real time and you will be able to watch it with us after we release this commentary episode and what you'll be able to do is hit play on your DVD slash Blu-ray player at the same time that we are, that we do, and you'll be able to listen to our commentary. And it'll be a lot of fun. And that'll those will both be out in the next couple of weeks. And then, of course, in December, we have some fun shows, you know, a year in review show and then boom, one other. I'm forgetting what we're going to do, but it'll be great. Christmas. Whatever it is. <laughs> Christmas. Yeah, something like that. I don't know. Anyway, thanks everybody for listening. Don't forget our website, MuggleCast.com, has all the information you need about the show. Yeah, you can follow us on Twitter, Twitter.com slash MuggleCast. You can like us on Facebook, which is Facebook.com slash MuggleCast. You can follow our fan Tumblr, which is MuggleCast.tumblr.com. And you can subscribe and review us on iTunes. Leave a review. I don't think we've asked for that in a while. Well, that's what another show can be in the Lego Harry Potter Years 5 to 7 review. I, I do want to see no. how they've improved. Um we talked briefly. Well, for those people who I, I don't know if we mentioned it, for those people who do get the Blu-ray, there is a there is a demo um, on, on for PS3 the, only. For PS3 only for Lego Harry Potter years five to seven. So if you're thinking about getting the game, you can obviously is it a long uh, preview? Take it a trial. Do you know? Sorry, is it a long demo, long preview? You said you played it. It's fa- it's fairly long. I mean, uh, you start in Godric's Hollow and. Uh, 
work your way to uh, Bethilda Bagshot's home, and that's as far as I got. But um, there's probably a, a few s- scenes in there that, uh, but you can you can watch the story as well. Uh, they you know they have that little sort of uh, what's it called? They have Cut a little uh, short uh, video that you can watch that kind of explains the storyline through and yet Lego Harry Potter years five to seven. It's very comedic. Um, so you can do that as well. You can do that. You can also play the game. Oh, interesting. I loved, or you can go buy the game. The game is out, uh, came out on Friday. Yeah. So. Friday, November 11th, 11, 11, 11. Well, thank you everyone for listening. We'll see you next time for episode 243 from hypable.com. I'm Andrew Sims from mugglenet.com. I'm Eric Skull and from mugglenet.com. I'm Lincoln Town. Oh, wow. You're serious this time. Yeah, look at that. We'll see everybody next time for episode 243. I was going to say Game of Bones, but... (laughs) Next time. You just did.